As we continue our series on friendship, we turn to what is probably the key text for this series, which is found in the book of John, chapter 15, where the title comes from, I Call You Friends. And today we're going to look at John, chapter 15, verses 9 through, uh, 9 through um, 17. We're going to look at the first half of that, but also make reference to the rest of the paragraph um, as, we, as we go through this. But the, the focus more this week, 9 through 13, and then next week, 14 through 17, though touching on both in both services. So let's listen to God's holy inspired word. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands... You will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Let's pray. Lord, eternal God, we praise you that you have given us your word, that it is a light to us where we need wisdom, where we need to have our darkness enlightened. And so, Lord, we pray that by the light that you spoke into existence through your word, you would speak also into our hearts, enable us to understand and be able to follow this, and we would apply it to our lives. Give us wisdom to see how we can take what we are hearing here and be able to implement it in our daily lives. And so, Lord, we know that for this, we need you as our teacher. You are the God of wisdom. But we pray, O Lord, praise you, O Lord, that you have said that you, as the God of wisdom, are able to give to us and willing to give to us. And so, Lord, we ask humbly in the name of Jesus. Amen. Charles Dickens wanted to write a story about the French Revolution, which was going on this time. And... Uh, to do this, he chose not to just write a history and say this event happened, then this event happened, then this event happened. Like he did in his other novels, he told a story. He told a story about two men, primarily, Charles Darnay and Sidney Carton. Charles Darnay was a noble, <coughs> excuse me, was a noble uh, in both in character and by birth. But one thing of his, his noble character led him to actually renounce his nobility in France because he was disgusted by the way his family had treated people who were not in the nobility. Sidney Carton, on the other hand, was a man who, was, who, had, who had intelligence but was also a drunk and engaged in revelry, and he was not really doing much with his life. But one thing about him is that he had an uncanny resemblance to Charles Darnay. Both fell in love with the same woman, Lucy Manette. But Lucy made the wise choice <clears throat> and chose Charles Darnay as her husband. When the French Revolution arrived, the heads started to roll, literally, 
And anyone connected to the aristocracy was in danger. And it turns out that Darnay's family deliberately and falsely accused Dr. Manette, the father of Lucy Manette, now the wife of Charles Darnay, and he was imprisoned wrongly for 18 years in the Bastille in Paris. So the mob decided that Charles Darnay had to pay for the crimes of his family. And he was put in the Bastille, ready to be executed. Sidney Carton, though, came to a plan. He did not want to see this come about. So he went to the prison. He tricks Darnay into exchanging clothes with him. He drugs him, has him dragged out of the prison, and he takes his place. And at the end of the book, Sidney Carton is placed on the guillotine and he is executed in the place of Charles Darnay, unbeknownst to the mob around them. It's a powerful ending to a powerful story. And it's, it's, even though it's a fictional story, it still drives home the truth that Jesus describes here. Greater love has no one than this, that they would lay down their life for their friends. And that's what Carton did. So let's explore the meaning of this statement together from this passage. And then we'll also look at how that ties into how we can live as friends with one another. So we see first Jesus' astonishing love for his friends. The context of this declaration of love is the Last Supper, as we call it, which was really just the Passover meal, the big holiday of the, of the Jewish world, then and now. And he was gathered around there with his friends, meeting together, as so many did throughout the city of Jerusalem, in order to celebrate this meal. And at this meal, they, uh, they sat around there, and no one was there willing to wash the feet, a common courtesy. And Jesus showed them his love by getting down there and washing the feet of all of his friends and showing them a pattern of service. And then he engages in teaching them. And he shows them and explains to them how they are to live as his disciples. And what he says here is that he wanted them to know that he loved them. He said, as the Father loved me, so I have loved you. An amazing declaration. Think about that. How much love does the Father have for the Son, the eternal Son of God? And Jesus says, that's the same way that I love you. It's really astonishing when you think about the disciples. Uh, that what have they done to deserve this type of love? Why had, God, why had Jesus uh, made them the special objects of his affection? They were not only, of course, sinners and who had violated the laws of God and who were not worthy to receive the love of God, but they also tended to be a little bit bumbling in what they did. They really didn't seem to know what was going on. They had trouble getting what Jesus was saying, and it was a long process of teaching them. But yet, he says to these people who made mistake after mistake, who didn't seem to get things, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And so he calls them then to remain in that love. What that means is to experience that love. And what we've seen is 
that they did do that. They were those who had already taken an interest in the kingdom of God, and they had worked together on it with Jesus, and then they were called out together to be his special associates who would be with him in all that he did and to work with him. And they had stood with him even when it got tough, even when there were trials, even when there was opposition, even when they had huge crowds and all of them left. These disciples had stood with them. They had remained in his love, and they needed to continue remaining in that love. But what was the obstacle for them to continue experiencing that love? In the big picture, it was that they had sinned and they were in need of a sacrifice for sin. They were sinful men who could not stand the judgment of God. The Old Testament showed that this was needed and through numerous animal sacrifices pointed to the sacrifice that was needed. And that is why John the Baptist at the beginning of the book of John, different Johns, said that behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That he's the one who puts himself in the place of his friends so that they don't have to suffer what they deserve because of their sin. This is the highest demonstration of his love and of his strong desire to have friends who would work together with him for the transformation of the world to the glory of God. Now, it's interesting, if, you're, if you've studied the Bible or uh, read, it, read it quite a bit, maybe you remember that one of the things they say about Jesus is that God demonstrates his own love for this, us and this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Someone might die for their, a good man, but Christ died for those who were his enemies. So why does Jesus say here, I'm laying down my life for my friends, and yet there it says they laid down his life for his enemies? Well, I think that it is both. Because in one sense, the disciples are born enemies of God. They are, by nature, children of wrath, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2 through 3. But they were converted out of that and turned around by the work of the Holy Spirit so that they became the friends of Jesus. And now, how can they become the friends of Jesus when they have sin? Well, God saw from the beginning of time what Jesus was going to do in order to bring about a reconciliation between God and man through the sacrifice of himself. And so God was willing to look over the sins that were committed before that sacrifice because he knew that Christ would come and be that sacrifice for sins. Others came later. And so we can say that those who are going to receive that salvation are friends by anticipation, even though at a particular point in time they are enemies of God. They're going to be converted. And some before the death of Christ who were born enemies and who had sinned against God, as all have, were also became his friends in view of what Jesus was going to do later. The bottom line is in this that we need to think about the, the death of Christ in a particular way. <clears throat> we have seen already that Jesus, while he was on earth, was one who wanted friends. He, and we see that he came and he gave his life so that he could have friends. Jesus is one who is seeking friends. The purpose of his death is to have friends who can be engaged with him in doing the good things that God wants done in the world. The works of creation, life, civilization, culture, marriage, schooling, arts, and so on. 
and also the works of redemption to bring people back to God so they can be restored and forgiven of their sins and converted unto him. He wants friends who will bear that type of fruit, who will do those big things that he's called them to do in the world. Indeed, he says, greater things will you do than I have done because because they're going to spread out throughout the world and do all sorts of things. He says, I've chosen you so that you can bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that you'll make a difference and an impact in the world so that you do good things for yourselves, for those around you, and to the glory of God. It's very similar <clears throat> to what um, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. In that famous passage, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the work of God, so that no one can boast. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We see there, he says, Your salvation and transformation is a gift of God, but it's a gift of God that's not there so you could just sit there and enjoy it, though you should enjoy it, but also so that you can give God praise and do good works for him in the world. And that's what friendship, in particular, is a helpful idea to express that because, as we've seen before, friendship is always about something. So Jesus is, it's not just about the relationship. It's about doing stuff together. And that's what we need to think about Jesus. Jesus came, he died, and he rose again, and he lives, and he's working in the world so that he can have friends who work together to transform the world to the glory of God. Jesus wanted to show us mercy, but he also had a vision of friends being restored to change the world. So what does it look like for us then to live in the friendship of Jesus? That's the second thing I want you to see. Whenever I think of sacrificial death, I cannot forget the moving scene at the beginning of Saving Private Ryan. It begins with a man falling on his knees at Arlington National Cemetery in front of tombstones. And this scene was was actually not in the original book, but it was inspired by Steven Spielberg's own experience where he saw a man do just that when he was at Arlington National Cemetery. Robert Rodat wrote the book, or the the screenplay, and he wanted to tell the story of D-Day based on his reading of Stephen Ambrose's book on D-Day. But he decided to write a story about those who had experienced multiple losses of sons in World War II. In this particular story, seven men go deep into enemy territory to find James Ryan, the lone surviving son of four brothers, and bring him back to his mother. They successfully find him, but they all lose their lives in the process. And Ryan can never get over that fact. He's an old man at the end, and he's standing there thinking of the sacrifice. And he says, have I lived a life worthy of it? Have I done what I should do? He asks his wife. And that's just the sort of emotion that the death of Christ should evoke in us what can we do for the sacrifice he has given us how can we repay how can we live a life that would in some way reflect that goodness that's what we're called to do and Jesus tells us what that is he doesn't necessarily uh, ask us to strap uh, uh, armor onto our back and climb a waterfall as in the movie The Mission, he, he says, I want you to be my friends. 
That's how you can show your love for me. Remain in my love. Jesus wants us to live in his friendship. That's how we can respond in gratitude to what he's done. This is his purpose to build friends so we can say yes to that. We will be his friends and experience the friendship and let his friendship be that which motivates us. How do we do this? Well, Jesus tells, tells them here that I, um, in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now, that may seem a very strange statement. So if someone says, hey, Wes, I want you to be my friend. And I said, okay, I'll be your friend if you do whatever I command. Um, probably won't have many friends, for one. And it just is like, that doesn't seem to be what friendship is. But I think if we reflect a little bit more deeply, I think we can see uh, what Jesus is after. That he's not simply saying, I want people to do what I say, and then I'll like them. No, no, I don't think that's what he has in view. Um, What he's saying, we should think of his commands as kind of setting an agenda for what he wants done into the world. There's different perspectives from which we can view his laws and his commands. But his agenda is is set by by his commands. He's saying, this is what I want done in the world. This is sort of a picture of what I want the world to be like, and I want you to walk in it, and I want you to help other people walk in that. And as we work on that together, we will develop a friendship, and you will enjoy the friendship. And that's what he, he wants them to do. We have to get on, we might say, the same page with Jesus and say, What are you after, Jesus, in this world? His commands tell us what that is. Jesus wants us then to demonstrate his friendship with others. So what what command does he emphasize here? What command is really important to him? Well, I hope you heard it in the text. It's repeated twice. Look at verse 12. He says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. In verse 17, this is my command. Love each other. So think about this. We want to experience the friendship of Jesus. So let's ask this. What is Jesus interested in? His people. He wants us to care. He is interested in his people. And if we're going to be interested in what Jesus is interested in, then we should be also interested in his people. He wants us to care about them. He wants us to be connected to them. He wants us to build relationships with them, just as he does. That's what it means to love them. As we take an interest in his people and his church, we build a friendship together with Jesus. We grow in that friendship as we work together to build people up to the glory of God for their good as well. Now, Jesus wants us not only to demonstrate his friendship to others, but he also wants us to experience the joy of friendship. We are going to do this as we hear Jesus' command and get on the same page with him and start working on it. He wants us to experience his joy. Listen to what he says in verse 11, or 10, sorry. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command to remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. So as we take in the love of Jesus, and get on the same page as Jesus, 
the manifestation of that is going to be joy. It may not happen immediately all at once, but that's what develops. It develops as we experience the love of the Father, as we are about his business, just as Jesus was about the business of the Father, and experience that camaraderie with the Father as he did his work. We experience the joy as we serve others, and we see it bear fruit in their lives. And we experience the love of the community as we share in service to one another, as we work together to help others, and as we pray together, as we we listen to each other, as we uh, counsel one another, as we even admonish one another at times, that we help each other grow, and we experience that community as we're working together to become the community of God. And that brings us a joy that reflects the joy of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who have that eternal joy that's then reflected in their community as we love one another and enjoy that community and, and are united together through multiple acts of service and experiences together. That's what Jesus is bringing about in the church when we get on the same page as him. It becomes a glorious reflection of the triune God. So what do we learn about friendship from this? Well, one of the things is we certainly can see that friendship is something that's worth pursuing. It develops this amazing bond that can even lead someone to sacrifice their lives for the friend, for their friends. The friendship of Jesus gives us a whole new motivation and context for the development of friendships. Because as we see what he's done for us, we begin to see that that's also what he wants us to be doing with others. Sometimes, you know, when we we hear the word love one another, we might just think of doing something for other people or um, just being there. But he also is saying that love is like the love of the Father to the Son, where they work together for the glory of God. So we engage in that. What Jesus is saying to us is that he wants us to be friends who enjoy that friendship and who develop the type of friendship that lays down its life for his brothers. And, you know, one of the reasons I brought up Saving Private Ryan is because where we see this often is in the military. That um, I've, I've read quite a bit on history of military. I've not been in the military, but I've, I've read a lot of stories. And I've heard from a lot of people that, you know, what motivates people to actually go into battle? You know, there's, there's love of country. There's a sense of duty. But often it's most their, their sense of love and friendship for the brothers within, with whom they go into war. And I remember talking to a gentleman who had been in the military for a long time. And he said, you know, being in the military was great. And you know why? Because we were all doing stuff together and we had this amazing camaraderie. Because that we were engaged in something together. And he said, I really miss it. Because he was now out. But you, my friends, that is what we have the opportunity to do. Because we are as it were, together as a band of brothers and sisters in the army of the Lord, engaged in a spiritual battle, not a battle of, with uh, steel and, and, and carnal weapons or fleshly weapons, but the weapons of the Spirit. And we engage in that because we're fighting a battle to see for the souls and for the good of others and for the glory of God. And that's the same type of friendship that we can develop as we engage in that together. And how does that begin? It begins with Jesus, who showed us the greatest love that a friend can have. 
He laid down his life for his friends. So let's take it in deep. Let's think about it throughout the week. Let it inform our prayers and let it motivate us to a new love. Thus may it be. Amen.